0: Uh, last week we left off in uh, James chapter 4 and if you're visiting this morning, welcome, we're glad you're here. Hope I sense the Lord ministering to you this morning and uh, we've been in a series called Shoe Leather Wisdom in the, in the book of James. And uh, we are uh, continuing through and the title of this message this morning is You Gotta Clean It Up. So you can kind of tell where we're going to go, right? And um, there will be a response time, which is why the front row is taken out. And uh, so just so that you know that and you can think it through as we go through the message. So uh, we're looking at James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8a. We covered last week and it says this, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. It's one of the great promises in Scripture. Uh, We said last week this phrase that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble is a universal principle. That means it applies to everybody and at all times. So it's at work this morning as we're here. And whether people are here or not, it's at work in our state and it's at work in our country and it's at work in the world that God opposes the proud but He gives grace to the humble. James and Peter both enunciate the idea that's borrowed from Proverbs 3.34. And they both use it as core doctrine in their epistles and therefore we should pay attention to it. It's not just words. If you really think about it, humility is really the only approach I have to God. If you really stop and ponder that, humility is the only way I can get to Him. If I come humbly then a greater grace is available to to me. If I don't, then it's not. We also said that grace is my access point to God's strength in resisting the devil, but that it's tied to my submission to Christ's authority. Remember that last week we were walking through that? And we we noted that submission is always an authority issue. If I'm functioning under His authority, I can resist Satan in the power of Jesus' resurrection, and then he'll flee from me. He may not necessarily be intimidated with me. right? If he wasn't intimidated with the big characters in the Bible, it's probably likely Satan isn't going to be too intimidated with you or me. right? But he will certainly be intimidated by Jesus and the power of His Holy Spirit. Therefore, my ability is tied directly to my proximity and intimacy with Jesus. In other words, if it's all talk at that point, it's going to evaporate and blow up pretty quick. If it's a reality, Satan has to take that into account. And so the closer I draw near to him, Jesus, the closer he will draw near to me, and the more access and power I have for that. So as we contemplate this, the question has to be asked, so what stops this closeness? What What fries that circuit? And the answer, of course, is sin. Uh, The most basic definition of sin is that it separates me from God. I'm no longer close. There's a distance. There's a gap. Just as humility is the environment for grace, so pride is the fertilizer for sin. You want to think about it that way? It's kind of the miracle grow in reverse, right? It's kind of what I would call a spiritual roundup, right? Uh, pride withers my spiritual life from the roots up, right? If you spray roundup in your yard, you, watch, you can watch the leaves do that. Well, pride does that to my spirit. Last week, um, in Second Kings, we looked at King Saul and King David and we listed some of the characteristics defying both men and their rule. Uh, let's look at those again. Floyd McClung in his book, The Father Heart of God, lists the characteristics uh, of someone who's acting out of pride such as King Saul. And you can see up there, and we, we won't take the time to go through because we did last week, but you can kind of get the flavor and tone of somebody who's struggling with pride. Likewise with King David, uh, you get the, the tone of somebody who leans in towards God, who's cultivated when pressure hits, when um, you know I'm under the gun, my natural knee-jerk reaction is to move towards, not away. Saul would move away, not towards. And so it's two different approaches. And I want to shoot this list again. And I've highlighted or... Uh, Highlight, yeah, lifted, darkened, whatever. The two middle ones. Notice in the middle there you have uh, unteachableness, which really we would just call stubbornness, right? Unteachableness, unwillingness. And then critical and judgmental attitude. Uh, it's funny if I know I'm going to be judged. I'm pretty critical and judgmental of other people, right? If I'm going to get it, I'm going to let them have it too, right? And you could pick that up in Saul, Uh in King David, you have a willingness to repent and a forgiving attitude. And I want to suggest those are the pivot points of this pride-humility uh, thing. In particular, um, a willingness to repent and a forgiving attitude come out of a heart of humility. Unteachableness and a critical judgment at, or judgmental attitude come out of a heart of pride. So you can... See how those are leveraged against each other. And it's around this idea of willingness to repent that we come to the next verses in James and it would seem wise to stop and pray before we cover them, right? Don't you agree? Let's pray. Father, it would be so easy to just throw out words this morning. um, But I sense the importance of the topic and so uh, I've worked hard this week to be in line with you and to work through my stuff and to... Have a, a humble heart to try to have a humble heart, and of course the enemy's thrown up all kinds of roadblocks to that and i 've had to work through those and so, uh, as we come to this this morning, my guess is that my friends will wrestle with some of the th- same things we open the service up to you, you are able to have conversations, you know our hearts, you know the leverage points, you know the pivot points, you know the gaps, and you can speak in that while we go through this message and we ask for that this morning in your name, Amen. All right. All right. So, reading James in this morning, we'll read from eight b to ten, and it reads like this. It says, "Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded." It's really seeker friendly. You can tell that right? Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. This is one of those passages you can just blow by and go, ah, too intense. I don't get what he's talking about. So I'll just read the rest of the chapter and hope it's better. But I want us to actually stop and pause here this morning. Why would James say that? And what was he after? The context here is really important. Really important. Remember, we're talking about a group of Christians who have drifted. They're initially on fire. Remember, they they came to Christ in the first Pentecost. right? We're talking about the very first church that erupted uh, when Peter spoke and then built after that. But they've drifted. They were once full of faith and obedience, but have allowed pressure and persecution and displacement to unroot them from their faith. And as a result, uh, they've begun to re-embrace the very things that they had once walked away from. Love of the kingdom of Jesus has dimmed. Love for the world has grown. The first love is faded and false loves are starting to flourish. Uh, Obedience has waned and disobedience is starting its deadly process. Pride is rising and humility is evaporating. And in this, James is using the strongest possible language to catch their attention and to call them back. And he starts with with this admonition here. It says Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. They have become estranged in their relationship with God. The phrase cleanse your hands, John, our worship leader who led us this morning, will tell you is a, is a direct reference to in a picture of the Old Testament priest having, having to wash their hands before they come and give the offerings in the Ark of the Covenant or in the tabernacle or in the temple. Washing their hands was symbolic of having, I've gotten dirty from the affairs of everyday life. Anybody get dirty from the affairs of everyday life? right? Just kind of you start mucking it up with the people around you and pretty soon you're sounding and looking just like them. And the point is I can't come to God that way. I have to clean that up before I can come and it's not acceptable. There's two categories for this that I want you to think of this morning. One is sins of commission. These are uh, things that I've done wrong with my hands or body that have gotten me dirty. So just think of stealing, sexual sins, hitting somebody, nonverbal gestures, accusing people, taking harmful drugs, uh, right, thought life. just It's stuff I do that I know is sin. Just go across the board, right? Stuff that I know, as soon as I'm doing it, Jesus wouldn't approve. It's not good. But I want to dabble and I want to play and I want to... I want to just compartmentalize for a little bit and have a little, quote, fun and and then I'll come back to being godly because you can't expect me to be godly 100% of the time, right? Only Jesus could do that, so that's not fair. So really, it's okay, right? Uh, Bible calls those sins of commission. The other side is one that we don't often talk about uh, but we intuitively sense as well and that's sins of omission. These are the things I'm supposed to do or I know I'm supposed to do, or God's talked to me about them, and I don't do them. Um, this would be my habits and how they shape me. This is the way I behave and how I react. Uh, positive things like I should be helping others. I should put in an honest day's work. Uh, I, I, if you're a student, I have chores or tasks. Uh, at home, am I doing them well? Um, the Lord bumps me to write someone. Uh, he's prompted me to call somebody or reach out to them, um, asking for forgiveness. And I, and I don't do it. This is where the Lord has asked me to do something, and I've responded by saying no. Now there's a lot of different kinds of no. Right? It could be a hostile no. No! Right? It could be a forgetful no. Huh? Right? It could be a passive aggressive no. I'll get to it. Right? It could be a nonverbal no. Point is, it really doesn't matter because it's still a no. Right? Outside behaviors can all be cleaned up or veiled. But then the problem with Scripture and the problem with God is He always drops to the next level. Right? And you're like, next level? What next level? And He goes to the next level. And the next level is the level that, of repentance that James now is going to tap into. James says that we not only have to clean our hands... But well, we also have to purify our hearts. These are the thoughts and attitudes in my heart that are offensive to God. And this, is why, this is why James calls them double-minded. They're literally in two minds. One for the kingdom and one for the world. Do you ever do that? Switch on the kingdom mind and switch on the world mind, and, right? And separate those two don't come together because if they come together, you'd know they clash. Kind of thing. This isn't only what I'm doing, but rather why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now we're getting down to the level of motive. Right? That's a little sneakier and a little trickier. My commentary, the Expositive Bible Commentary, points out that the eager quest, I was talking about these people in James, the eager quest for pleasure had resulted in the sins of the hands and the heart. Isn't that good? I quoted that directly. I thought that the, the It says that, The eager quest for pleasure has resulted in the sin of my hands or my heart. Right? You ever just going along Christian life, it's kind of hard and you just want to check out and take a break and then reward yourself with something illicit and then you'll jump back in? That's what James is talking about here. And he says, you double-minded, you sinners. They had one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God and last I checked, you usually get ripped in half when that happens. They were trying to love God and the pleasures of the world at the same time. Does that sound familiar to anybody? that ring a bell? Can anyone here this morning recognize that dilemma? James uses the strongest word pictures possible to get them to understand that they have to pull out and pull away from that stuff. Let's look at what he uses. This is uh, what I'm calling the call for repentance. Uh, By the way, let's talk about repent means. To repent means to agree with God about His assessment of the situation and then realign your thinking and your actions with Him. It literally means to change your mind. To change your mind from a worldly point of view and change it to God's point of view. In other words, you uh, start agreeing with God is what it means to repent. And James in this gives three imperatives, literally like commandments. He says this, he says, Grieve. Grieve, you can see the Greek word there. It's a really strong wording to be miserable or wretched. That's classy, huh? Just the idea here of grieve, of being torn apart by it. The second word he uses is he says mourn. And that's a passionate grief that cannot be hidden. So he's talking about when you get in touch with your sin, you should mourn in the sense that others would obviously look and say, hey, something's wrong, right? You ever see somebody over on the side just sobbing and weeping? That's the idea there. And then the third word that he uses is wail. And whale is uh similar how we'd understand it is the uh, in Middle Eastern funerals where they hire whalers and they make a lot of noise and they do that la 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 right thing and they cry out. It's talking about that kind of response. Now why is why is he saying that? Well, first of all, he's saying that because he's from a Middle Eastern culture. Okay, that's what they do in the Middle East. Um, we don't tend to do that in our country, right? That's not exactly, that would be kind of embarrassing. But what I want you to note is not so much the method as the heart attitude behind it. And what's behind that? Uh, James said to them, You're, to turn your laughter to mourning and your joy into gloom. What's he trying to do? Well, what he's saying is instead of partying, and and the pursuit of pleasure, they were to grieve over the sin and turn back to the Lord with a full heart. In other words, James was saying, hey, look, you're looking at it this way, but you're not getting it. You need to look at it this way. And when you finally look through this lens, it's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be good. And if you've ever done that with your sin, you know that that's entirely true. James was saying, wake up. And recognize the severity of the situation. This is not little stuff. The view of God recognizes and sees sin as it really is. Man seldom does. Uh, Just give you one picture in Scripture, there's tons of them, but just one we're familiar with, Revelation 3, the church at Laodicea. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold... I will spit you out of my mouth. Look at their lens. What do they say? For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing, here's God's viewpoint, that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful poor, blind, and naked. Notice the contrast. They're looking at it going, we got it made. We're rocking. We're kicking this thing. And God's looking at it going, you're bankrupt and you're dead. Man's perspective, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. That's on anything to anybody like Mill Creek? God's perspective, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I call them the five B's. Bankrupt, broke, barren, and blind. Right? You ever been there spiritually? That's what James is calling out. He's saying, can you see this? Can you turn? Can you acknowledge the way God sees it? Through our human lens, we think, sin, well, I'm not really that guilty. Well, I mean, my, my sin is not as bad compared to others. I'm really pretty good. And the further question uh, on the table today is, what's there to really grieve over? I mean, grieve over sin, come on, it's 2018. Uh, you can't be serious. Haven't we gotten way past that? I mean, besides... The whole idea of sin is so nebulous, right? Uh, Just, I mean, what is sin or sinful today? I mean, this is not like the 1880s. We're not in the old-fashioned Victorian stuff. Uh, You know, just really? And then to compound the whole issue, make it even more difficult than it actually is, we have massive forces telling us there's no such thing. What is sin? Well, from a media's perspective... Almost nothing. About the only sin in our culture today is to be a Christian. Right? It's fair game. You can do anything. We've kind of left that all behind, God. We're way past that. So you're going to have to come up with a different rhetoric. That's echoing the words you hear in Proverbs 3.20. Now this might be a little shocking, but it says this. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats, wipes her mouth, and says, I've done nothing wrong. But we know God will not be mocked. What we call nothing, God calls something. And i we should tremble at that thought. Right? I find it interesting that the... Proverbs there uses the word adulteress because that's the exact word that James uses in this passage of chapter 4. You adulteresses, right? An adulteress, of course, is a woman who's been unfaithful to her husband. And in Scripture, we're called the bride of Christ. So he's saying you are violating your marriage vows to the Lord the exact same way an adulteress does with her husband. See, it only becomes sinful... When I begin to see it through God's lens, and when I do, I'm shocked and humbled. Uh, just insight into my life. I, I remember uh, in my college years, uh, I sinned like a banshee, all right? I used to make fun of that and jokes with that, but now I'm looking back. And I remember when I came to Christ and suddenly saw, and went, oh my gosh, what have I done? Okay? Now, fast forward 40 years later. Now I'm looking back and going, Oh my gosh, what have I done? Repentance is growing on me only because I can see it better and I can see it the way God sees it. And so I wrestle with it more than I ever did 40 years ago. Anybody else know that trail? They were to humble themselves before God and the promise is then that God would lift them up. And so the principle here is that humility precedes grace. Uh, We often want God to pour out His grace on us, but we forget that first step. We have to actually humble ourselves before Him first. So to humble ourselves, we need a time and a place to do so. And I think, I, I just want to bring this up this morning, I think we've forgotten that one of the primary functions of body life within the church is that it is a place that calls people back to repentance and humility before God. It is not primarily a place where you get all your needs met. We've, we've flipped that in our country. And if you meet my needs, I'll attend. And if you meet my needs, I'll give money. If you meet my needs, I will, uh, you know. But it was never about meeting our needs. Church was designed by God as a body life experience for together that we could repent with each other. Later on in James, they'll say what? Confess your sins to each other. We'll cover that when we get to it. But it was designed as a place where repentance could take place and it was one of the primary functions of the church is to call people back to repentance and back to humility before God. Now, I think we know that, but then the question comes, well, what paralyzes us from doing that? Why do we freeze up? Why do we go stiff on that? And I think it's the age-old battle of the fear of man, right? What others would think. I'm, they might see me, they might ask questions, and we get nervous about that, and should I shouldn't I and uh, you know, King Saul was consumed with fears of what others thought, right If you read his story, he was absolutely consumed with what others thought, but he wasn't very careful tracking what the Lord had been trying to tell him. On the other hand, King David made some horrendous mistakes. I.e., he sinned very badly, right? In our culture now, we call him mistakes. That's called sin, right? David sinned badly. Matter of fact, in some ways, sinned worse than Saul. Yet he knew how to lean in and weep before God over his sin. And let me ask you the question this morning, which man do we remember more, Saul or David? It's David, right? Appearing to be weaker David was actually much stronger and wiser than Saul because he knew who he had offended. Saul never quite got that right. And so I thought, instead of being captured by the fear of man and whatever else thinks like Saul, why not be captured by the fear of God and humble ourselves before him, seeking to have him lift us up like David? I don't have a list of our sins. I'm not going to list all our sins and say, if you've done this, you're in the boat or camp. I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to talk to us this morning. And from the way you're listening this morning, I know you're getting it. We already know in our spirits what they are, right? You've been wrestling with them all week. God's been trying to talk to you. And so when we're stuck like that, we need a place to confess and repent of them. So I thought, well, why not today? Why not this morning? James didn't say, in three weeks from now, do that. He said, hey, when you see it, grieve, wail, and mourn, and, and come before the Lord. And so I thought, why not this morning? Why not let the Holy Spirit illuminate and have him point out what it looks like from God's perspective and, has as he does, have a way to respond that's appropriate? Okay? And uh, so we're going to do that, but I want to take us to remember the questions from last week that we left, and if not, I'll help remind you. Here we go. Remember this question? What do I need to walk away from? This is the sins of commission, right? This is what are stuff that I'm doing that I know is offensive to the Lord. You may have had a hot battle this week with that. It may have been in the past, but it's something that you know you're supposed to walk away from. And then the second question is what do I need to draw close to? In other words, this is the sin of omission. Maybe there's some things I know I'm supposed to do that I'm not doing something as simple as it. Spending time in the Word with God. And I've just drugged my feet, and yeah, I should, but I have a very busy life, God, and you know I don't have time for you. That's not what we'd really tell them, but that's what we're really saying. And and you know, you've just been kind of blowing his stuff off and and not paying attention. So here's what we're going to do. No fanfare. I'm going to give us an opportunity to, to walk forward this morning, all right? You're not going to just sit there and hide or raise a hand or do that. We're going to stand, and when it comes time, if you feel moved by the Lord, you're going to come up, and you're going to come up here uh, literally to stand up, get out of your seat, and come down front. That's going to be our expression of repentance to the Lord this morning. And we'll begin with me, all right? If it's any encouragement to you and you're feeling a little nervous this morning, just know that God has been working, I would say, pounding on me long before He got to you this morning. It was a delightful message to put together. Thrilling. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. So John and company, come on on up. And uh, I'll get you to stand in just a minute. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my Bible. I've got my Bible open uh, to Psalm 51. David's Psalm of Repentance. Okay? And I'm going to get down here and I'm going to kneel and I'm going to read Psalm 51 to us. And as I read Psalm 51 to us, if you feel led by the Lord to come down and join me, then you just come down and join me. When we're done reading Psalm 51, and by the way, if it's during the song, you can come forward as well. Um, But uh, once you're down here when the song starts then I'll stand up and I'll whoever's up with me if nobody's up with me I'll just go sit down with you or if there's a bunch of us up here a couple I'll pray with you if there's a bunch I'll call the other elders and staff and we'll we'll pray with you but if you've got something this morning either commission or omission that the Lord's pointed out um, we're going to do that if you hear God's voice this morning come down and make things right with them and then You won't have false guilt. By the way, if you're doing well with the Lord this morning, that is a real possibility that some of us are really walking with God and have done really well this week. If you're doing well, don't feel any false guilt. Like you would be a better Christian if you came forward. If you're doing good, just stand where you are and sing the worship song, all right? That's fine. Um, You don't have to kneel if you come up here. You can if you wish, but um, you can stand if that's better, better for you. Well we're just going to open that up together. So let me do this. Let me grab my Bible. Would you all please stand? You can uh close your eyes, you can keep your eyes open. Let's uh read the words of listen to the words of psalm fifty one together. It goes like this. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you.